0: Hi, this is Ann Wilson, and you're listening to Everything Fab Four on
1: Salon.com.
2: Everything Fab Four, a new podcast focused on fun and intelligent stories about the Beatles. I'm your host, Ken Womack, music culture columnist for Salon.com and a Beatles scholar and historian. No other band or popular phenomenon for that matter has enjoyed the global impact of the Beatles. They are part of our human fabric. They created an enduring music that brings people together and just about everyone has their own Beatles story to tell, some that are surprisingly deep and unexpected, With each episode, we'll be featuring a new guest to share their Fab Four journey, along with amazing theme music from Black Rabbit. Remember, it's a Beatles world, and everybody has a story.
0: As a historian, I was blown away by how intimate it was. I have to be honest, I didn't realize some of the writing style of having Mal taking down lyrics as they were being created but even feeding back his thoughts was pretty amazing. The incendiary uh, edition of Billy Preston. You know, if, if I'm gushing, it's because it, it deserves it. And I'm I'm so pleased that it's been shared with the world.
2: Today's special episode features our good friends from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Our guests, Greg Harris and Waka Anwusa, are here to discuss their new exhibition, The Beatles' Get Back to Let It Be, a groundbreaking showcase of Fab Four artifacts on display at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum in Cleveland, Ohio. Designed to serve as an immersive complement to Peter Jackson's Get Back docuseries, The exhibition allows fans to experience the Beatles' creative journey through original instruments, clothing, and handwritten lyrics used by the Beatles and seen in the film. Artifacts include items loaned directly by Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, and the estates of George Harrison and John Lennon. The exhibit features high-definition film clips, audio, and custom projections, transporting fans into the Beatles' vibrant world of January 1969 fans will also enjoy audio engineer, producer, and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee Glenn Johns' acetates from the sessions, and iconic photography by Linda McCartney and by Ethan Russell, who documented the band's January 1969 rehearsals, sessions, and rooftop performance, and whose photos are featured in the Let It Be album art. As with Jackson's Get Back docuseries, the exhibit shows how the Beatles composed and record many of their iconic songs from scratch. The exhibit's three screening rooms feature a selection of footage from each location from the docuseries, Twickenham, Apple Studios, and the Apple Core rooftop. Our first guest today is Greg Harris, President and CEO of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Prior to serving in his current role, Greg worked as a senior executive at the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum for 14 years. We're also joined by Waka Anwusa, the Rock Hall's Chief Curator and Vice President of Curatorial Affairs. Prior to joining the Rock Hall in 2019, Waka spent a decade researching, developing, and curating exhibits for the Grammy Museum at LA Live. Welcome, Greg and Waka. Greg, perhaps you could start us off and let us know how this wonderful new exhibit came about.
0: Sure thing, Ken. Um, and, And hey, Waka, hello to you. Um, so uh, sure thing, Ken, you know, this Beatles exhibit has been in the work for a number of years. Um, in fact, um, our curatorial team, um, one of the, our, our curators, Craig Enciardi, has been talking to the Beatles camp for probably three years. Um, and when we have an opportunity to work with the Beatles or the members of the uh, Beatles, we are always very excited. And some of the timetable was driven by the Peter Jackson film. And when the Peter Jackson film was originally going to be released, we were moving toward working together. And then that was paused for a while, as folks know. And then once that became uh, a reality and we all got to enjoy that amazing footage last November, uh, then we were a go on the exhibition. So a lot of um, a lot of planning, a lot of conversations. And one of the keys was to do this right. We wanted to have the cooperation of all involved. And we're so pleased and and proud to say that this has the the support of, um, of Paul McCartney, of Ringo Starr, of the estate of John Lennon, the estate of George Harrison, um, Apple Corp limited, as well as Peter Jackson himself. And uh, all of those, you know, with a, with a, with a band like that, you're sure to succeed. So this is amazing. And now Waka um, and her team have been working with the designers uh, to really make this come to life in in the installation, uh, the renderings look terrific we can't wait to see this installed in our galleries here in Cleveland. I know fans are going to love it
2: um, Waka when you when you curate an exhibit such as this one, I know that in the past and this may no longer be germane but in the past sometimes there were challenges because of legacy issues you know Paul and and Ringo of course are working artists and Sometimes you don't want to be a museum piece just yet, right? Has that been an issue at all in the in the current run? or Are they comfortable with being uh, feted in this way?
1: Right. Um, well, you know what the it's really exciting to see all of the Beatles coming together on this project, a um, state and you know and Ringo and Paul um, on this um, to bring these artifacts to life. Um, the, like Greg mentioned the Beatles have, you know, this isn't our first time working with the Beatles or collecting from them to share their story because they are very much a pillar um, when we're talking about rock and roll and how that has revolutionized our, our, you know, our sonic being. Um, So, you know, we've always made sure that the Beatles have been represented um, at the Rock Hall. So that has not been an issue. Um, This one is just really special that these artifacts from this moment in history and music history are all coming together in one space for the first time. This is just, it's truly historic. So this one has been a great one. I say, I would say the work that has been done um, and shepherded by our curators, Greg mentioned Craig and Ciardi, um, who's been working on this um, to nurture those relationships and make sure that we have, the collection from this historic moment to be celebrated in this exhibit, so it wasn't, um, you know, too much of, of that that tug and pull. But again, you're right; Paul McCartney is still playing <laughs> is still playing his guitar. Um, so, you know, so we've had to make some compromises with the exhibit, and that's always um, fun and exciting. But for the most part, we're seeing some seminal pieces that will be represented in this exhibit.
2: Well, and who can blame him, right? I mean, if you could go out and play those songs, not to mention his solo work for, you know, millions of people on a tour, I would be doing that until my coma set in, I think, you know?
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So
2: I totally get that. Um, Now, one thing we typically do here on Everything Fab Four, and you guys are not going to escape this. Um, we love to find out about how folks have their own origin stories. When did they first get involved with the Beatles? You know, we've asked this of every guest we've had, you know, including just last week, uh, Colin Hay was with us, uh, uh, from, you know, of men and Minute work fame. And of course he's now with the Ringo Stars all-star band. So starting with you, Greg, um, I'm kind of curious, when did you first, connect with the Beatles in a meaningful way.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, And boy, I wish we would have been prompted for this question, but um, I'll tell you, it actually relates to our exhibit that we're doing right now, because, you know, as everybody knows, these were the, the get back sessions and the, um, uh, and and when with um, recording the, you know, the sessions for let it be, and then the, the rooftop concert, which, um, we'll be reproducing inside our gallery space. You're going to feel like you're there with them. Um, Oh, wow.
2: That's cool. Am I even going to have to like wear a scarf because it's going to be pretty chilly up there?
0: You may want to, but so before I answer my moment, I will say, you know, you're going to see Ringo's drum kit. He was playing up there and the red raincoat that he, uh, is wearing when he's on there. You'll see John's, um, sanded down Epiphone Casino, And uh, you're going to be right there. But for my story, the reason I say that is because, um, you know, it's probably a classic music story a little bit. But, um, you know, I I remember we we moved to a a new town and I was uh, in in school, sixth grade or seventh grade, and uh, met new kids in the beginning of school. And I think they were asking people to go around and talk about what they liked. And and one fellow mentioned that he – he played guitar and he, he liked the Beatles. And uh, I, I knew about the Beatles at that point. Of course, everybody did. But um, I wouldn't call myself a fan. And I'll call that moment. Uh, I remember um, after he said that, I remember going, um, you know, one of these days you go home after school with uh, with kids your age because we walked to school. And, uh, and he had um, one of those, the Beatles, um, you know, those double reds and blues, those, those those records, because it was sort of mid-70s. Oh, yeah. And, uh, greatest hits. And I remember hearing uh, Get Back and just how uh, how powerful and amazing it was. Um, and in uh, stumbling through, I was kind of a, a budding guitar player and stumbling through, you know, that part. And I, I knew some Chuck Berry and to be able to play that, that thumpa-thumpa, um, you know, mainly the Billy Preston pumping on it, it just felt so great. And to me, that was my real, my, my really powerful moment, um, was connecting with, with that. And it was through the song, get back, which was just amazing. Um, so a little more than just hearing it on the radio, um, hearing somebody playing it, it was on a turntable and, uh, and listening to it and really just feeling it. So, um, that's my story. I know it's a little overly dramatic, but it's all true.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what, um, those red and blue albums, right. They have been, uh, the gateway for a lot of folks, what brilliant uh, moments those were in 1973 to put those records out and just create all sorts of new fans. Those are some of the earliest albums I got right around that same period as you're describing. I know. Um,
0: and I'm so grateful that they um, they jammed the songs on there, didn't they? You know, well, they like-
2: chose really well. They chose a lot of deep cuts as opposed to just the singles. Waka. Turning over to you, what was your Beatles' originary moment?
1: Gosh, well, you know, I didn't have the the luxury of having the red and blue um, records when I was coming um, up and learning about the Beatles. I learned about them in choir. Um, I sang um, on the side and just for fun, always sang in church growing up and One of my music teachers, I will never forget her, Miss Becky, Um, she absolutely loved the Beatles. I mean, she's probably one of those who will be, hopefully come into the opening of this exhibit, but she was totally like a beetle head. Um, And, you know, when I was in choir, I remember this was, I was in middle school, um, probably sixth grade uh, or seventh grade actually getting into the choir. And, I mean, she drilled, we did a whole, co- we were a show choir, and we did the entire Sergeant Pepper's album, uh, we performed at Disneyland, like we were one of those competitive choirs that traveled around, and we were really great, um, not to, I mean, we were a pretty good choir, <laughs> and um, it was really amazing, I mean, of course, I knew about the Beatles through my parents, but it was Miss Becky, Um, who really taught me about the Beatles. I mean, learning the music and really getting into the songs. And I guess my get back moment is with Let It Be. Um, uh, My friend, I I called her my cousin, we both sang a solo. We did a solo for Let It Be, and then the choir joined in. And it was just such a moving song, even for me in middle school, and to see this kind of full circle moment, to be celebrating this album, and to even see the film itself now and while learning this music and understanding and appreciating them as a musician um and as a curator i mean there's just it's just so beautiful for this moment to kind of come back so let it be is really my special um get back moment um specifically singing that song in choir now having to work on this exhibit Um, so that's truly just a huge thanks to miss becky for introducing me and and my other choral mates um, to the Beatles in a real way.
2: Very cool. And you know, you both have stated something r- remarkable and t- still and very true today uh, for, for students that I meet in my role as professor of, of English and popular music at Monmouth University. When I teach the Beatles, they often cite those junior high years as mm-hmm. the time when they make this very kind of discovery. Yeah. Um if not earlier, right, when they're singing Yellow Submarine when they're, you know, toddlers or what have you, but it's it's kind of fascinating how, how the the demographic entry points for the Beatles um really have stayed the same over these 5-6 decades. It's uh it's it's quite interesting. Um you know, do you do you have anything planned uh at the Rock Hall for uh perhaps younger fans who might be, uh, in those junior high years.
0: You know, this is going to be our featured exhibit. So as Waka said, we, we always have a nice Beatles exhibit in the museum, by the way, it sits right across the gallery from a nice stones exhibit. So it, <laughs> it, it's part of that classic, right? Um, growing up when I did, uh, that was always a great question. Um, but, um, this, um, what we're doing when it's in the main gallery, we will have programs, we'll have activities, we will have um, things going on elsewhere in the museum. And one of those places, to pick up on Waka's explanation, w- Waka's experience, our whole second floor of the museum is called the Garage. And the Garage is loaded with instruments, thanks to Fender, thanks to Gibson, thanks to Martin, thanks to DW Drums. Didn't mention Hoffner yet, but who knows. Okay. And um, we, um, uh, we will have a playlist. Um, score sheets, lyric sheets, and our staff in the garage every day, they jam with visitors. Uh, visitors can come and learn how to play. They can come and plug in these guitars and play with others that are supporting them. And it's really this wonderful sort of sharing interactive space. And that's been massive with our teenage visitors. Um, and so we'll be doing some things like that in there. And, um, you know, I'm not sure other, other touch points that we'll do with the exhibit We'll, we'll follow with film screenings. Uh, we're going to do some special weekends throughout the summer where we bring in some of the principals um, and uh, more on that. But right now, um, that's the plan.
2: Yeah, I'm going to want to hear a lot more on that. That sounds pretty <laughs> intriguing. And I have to tell you, you had me at Epiphone Casino. I mean, just being... Oh, yeah. Just Sanded
0: a, it down, the whole deal, like you see it, it just speaks to your soul.
2: Yeah. Well, to be able to be near that guitar, which was so important to, to John Lennon, um, as I, I'm sure you both know, they had the Double Fantasy exhibit for some time in Liverpool. And being able to be near that, That crazy space age guitar of his (laughs) in that exhibit was meaningful. But, you know, obviously that that casino looms large in his legend. We'll be back in a moment with more from Greg Harris and Waka Anwusa from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We're back with Greg Harris and Waka Anwusa from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Waka, can you tell us some more about your experience of of curating this exhibit and and doing the work where you put it together and have to make a lot of those tough decisions uh, about what gets in and what doesn't?
1: Right. <laughs> well, this one is, you know, obviously very special that we're, this is a companion to a film. So where the film is really um, the nugget here that's sharing this story and kind of peeling back the layers on what fans um, want to see, you know, the artifacts here are very specific. Um, obviously, you know, we've we really would love to have, um, you know, in the, in the highlight of artifacts that we have um, collected from all of the Beatles right now, we're, you know, looking at what story we want to tell, what's, you know, what's going to be inspiring to fans. Um, you know, one of the favorite, one of my favorite pieces i Absolutely love lyrics. Um, that has to be, you know, if you you were to ask me what is my favorite thing in the museum, it has to be handwritten lyrics. Um, just to see that creative process, and we have a great selection um, that fans will have an opportunity to view when touring. Um, one of my faves, Paul McCartney's "I've Got a Feeling," or The Beatles "I've Got a Feeling." I think that just resonates. Um, it's the beauty of that song; it just resonates so power, you know, so strongly even now, um, just with the last couple of years we've been experiencing as as a, as a human race, um, wherever you are on this planet. So to have these lyrics um, up close and personal, like we're talking about the guitars and the clothing, I think for fans to really see that writing, to see um, George Harrison's handwritten lyrics for I, Me, mean Mine on display, Dig a Pony, another favorite. Um, so I think those are some of the highlights. So when we narrowed down um, our artifact list and trying to figure it out of what our wish list would be. It was definitely to have some of these gems um, highlighted. So we're, we're really grateful for the selection that we worked together on with the Beatles to, to help and tell this story. So those are some of my favorites, um, but it, it's really difficult. There's some great photography and obviously it's hours of footage. So even, um, you know, curating that down and, and you know, working with Apple um, and the Beatles to make sure that we are are highlighting a strong, you know, some of the strong scenes in this exhibit, so fans can really feel immersed um, with not only the artifacts but the visuals, um, which is helping to, to lead this celebration.
2: Well, you know, I, and having studied the press release that the extraordinary and wonderful Jennifer, Jennifer Valentine prepared. Um, I, I was struck by the fact that it sounds like we're going to see some pretty interesting photography, perhaps from Linda McCartney, among others, uh, that folks simply haven't been able to see before. Is that true?
1: Yes, that is true. So throughout the design of the exhibit, fans will have an opportunity to just Get some of those in-depth looks. It's great to see it in film, but to have these stills um, on view for fans to see while they're touring is quite amazing. So, you know, earlier we were talking about Ethan Russell and just praising his his eye and genius. We're um, really excited to have that photography um, exhibited, and like you mentioned, Linda McCartney as well, um, from you know participating in, in the session, providing some of this iconic. Um, imagery as well for fans to kind of just be in this mood and to um, really just get back. One of the things we've been saying: get back to get a little bit closer. Um, to yeah. see these to see these images, to see these artifacts, to um, really capture this essence. So I think it's it's really great. The photography definitely falls right in line. You it, the music, the images, the the video. It, it's all working in concert together.
2: You know, starting with you, Greg. What um You know, what was your take on on being able to experience the the get back documentary?
0: As a historian, I was blown away by how intimate it was that we could transport ourselves back in time, you know, over 50 years to be sitting next to these these amazing individuals. Right. I was amazed at that. I also love the way that, um, the personalities really came through. Um, it was very, very great to see that and feel that. Uh, and then just the, 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 interaction between everybody, um, the joy that they would show when, um, when somebody did something interesting or unexpected, right. Um, was amazing. Uh, I have to be honest, I didn't realize some of the writing style of having Mal taking down lyrics as they were being created, but even feeding back his thoughts was pretty amazing. And overall, I, I, you know, like everybody was a massive fan, but I left an even greater fan after after watching. And then um, I guess the final piece is just the the incendiary uh, edition of Billy Preston. Um, How amazing was that? How did that come through uh, so strong uh, in in the film? So, you know, if, if I'm gushing, it's because it it deserves it. And I'm, I'm so pleased that it's been shared with the world and that I, I I had a chance to watch it. It was just great.
2: It is extraordinary when, when Billy, makes his uh, his appearance right i mean suddenly there's a different energy in the room that they need obviously at this point in their careers and uh and he certainly can hold his own and what what great magic it was um so what about you waka what was your take on the docuseries and we're going to come back in a moment to mal so i'm glad you brought that up greg <laughs> Waka, what, what was your take on uh, on being able to experience the docuseries?
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, so I, I have to take it back to, again, you know, Miss Becky and this whole introduction to the Beatles and always being curious and, you know, just about their creative process and to actually see that unfolded and to be privy to this. Very special moment. I was moved. Um, I was so moved. I am a Beatles fan. Like I, I just love their their creativity, their genius. Um, there was a line that Paul McCartney said that just has me like just emotional, just as a music person. Where he was at the piano, and he's like, you know, the all of the greatest songs in the world that we've never heard or, you know, all in this piano. And he's just like, I'm just like, holy shit, like that's a a lyric right there. That's a whole song right there. Um, It was just so beautiful to just see these moments, how they dialogue with each other. Um, It made me angry. It made me (laughs) um, happy. I mean, it's just a range of emotions that I felt um, experiencing this docu-series. And I just thought it was just so beautiful. Um, What had me stuck was just Dig a Pony. Um, And I do have to second Greg, seeing Billy Preston, really seeing this fifth Beatle. It's like, oh, no, this is why we call Billy the fifth Beatle. I mean, what he provided, um, you know, to that album and to those sessions um, creatively was just so beautiful and more than I had ever known. So to not only hear it, but to see it and have the visual evidence of this major moment happening was just like, Hands down, I was like, and you, there's no argument. So I, there's no argument. Like, you, just to see it happening was just so exciting. So I, I absolutely loved it.
2: <laughs> oh, outstanding, and, and Billy is wonderful. And, you know, <laughs> obviously we were privy in the docu-series to seeing them debate the idea of perhaps, you know, adding Billy as a member. John is like, yes, let's do it. Paul is sort of like, well, it's already enough trouble with four. <laughs> Um, But, you know, we we have evidence of where that might have gone because, of course, they record I Want You, She's So Heavy just the next later, the next month with Billy, which is also magnificent. Um, But I guess it's hard to go back in time 50 years until we have the appropriate time machines, that is. But as I tell my physicist colleagues at the university, they are way behind on getting those things designed. I mean, at this point, we should be able to make that leap. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know what M- music does it can music is that time machine we 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 blasted or put the headphones on and you're back with those same people that same moment that same road trip that same time your heart was broken or it was mended that's the beauty of um of of music and in particular uh rock and roll that speaks to us
2: I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, if we do have a time machine, it, it is the arts, right? Yeah. You know, speaking uh, yeah. In, a, in a larger sense, that book you read, of course, or as you said, the song that you may have shared with your beloved. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or just, you know, Waka speaking right now so movingly about, is it Miss Becky? <laughs>
0: yes,
1: Miss
0: Becky. Yeah. Well yeah. <laughs> You know, Ken, you also asked about our, um, our take on the film, and we could probably do the entire podcast just on that because – Waka's answer was, you know, so perfect. And, uh, uh, the other thing that, um, I felt was just Paul McCartney's drive, mm-hmm. like that creative drive that the songs are flying out of him. And he was really at times just, just driving action and activity. Um, and, and I've, you know, to put, have the output that he has had is remarkable, but boy, I, I think that, um, Even I was surprised by um, uh, just that that drive was really remarkable.
2: Absolutely. And, and, you know, people are still talking about that amazing scene where he's just strumming his bass like a guitar, right? Like an acoustic guitar, an electric guitar. Mm -hmm. And he's taking this idea they had, which was a lovely and powerful protest song, right? Commonwealth. And turning it in to get back right before our eyes. It's pretty staggering. There was not a lot that guy couldn't do, right? In January 69, right? It was just powerful to see Linda McCartney, right? Talk about your time machine, right, Greg? It was just powerful to see Linda, who was part of all of our lives for so long in this amazing story. And here she is, right? Before she marries Paul, you know? on the scene being part of things or Yoko Ono or um, you know, all of the other folks who move in and out. I mean, one of my favorite candid moments is George Martin um, just sitting on the floor. You know, this elegant man is sitting on the floor and he's got this newspaper and he's just got it and he's reading. And uh, it's such a candid moment from a person who, you know, was uh, who had with the beautiful cut glass voice. And there he is, being a human being. So in so many ways, um, the, the docu-series really brings that to life, doesn't it?
0: I, I, I agree a thousand percent. And it, it's interesting because you have this perception of artists you know, being cloistered in creating amazing art. This was a pretty social <laughs> social run there for those, uh, uh, those days. And, and just the folks that come in and out at, at different times – in um, how it comes together. And, and you're right to see a George Martin um, being um, very, he's, you know, comfortable in the studio, comfortable with everybody. But the fact that it's, he's just kind of there and, and hanging out, um, is, it was really fascinating to me. Because I, I will say, you know, I've seen some studio photos and things like that. But you you do picture it being a little a little more of a private affair. <laughs> this was kind of, you know, the, the whole idea of, well, we're going to have an audience and it's going to uh, feel a little bit like uh, the, the curtain call when everybody's on stage. And then pretty soon people are dropping in. Uh, who was the, the one promo guy that comes in and is offering them titles, but trying to uh, do things. It was, it was just fascinating to me to see that that sort of open door policy um, and, um, and them going. The other The other neat thing like that, again, was based on that informality. um, I just love the way that they would hand each other their instruments, (laughs) you know, And, and you'd have to do a double take and say, wait a minute. So George is playing that guitar now. okay? And, you know, you almost had a scorecard to figure it all out. But it wasn't like there was tons and tons of stuff coming in. They were just kind of doing whatever they did with what they had.
2: Waka, you could almost write, you know, changing gear slightly, have had an exhibit just on Glenn John's outfits.
1: Oh my goodness, let's talk about the fashion, right? <laughs> That's what we're all.
0: Carnaby <laughs> <laughs> Street,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, just the looks. I mean, they were just so. He was just such a bright addition. I mean, once Glenn Johns came onto the scene, in any. Scene that we saw during the docu series it was just like I mean I was looking I was like wow that's a really that's a really dope blouse okay these these eyeglasses I really I really like that but I mean it's just that whole creative vibe that was going on between all of them uh, the fashion throughout though just the Glenn John's just in in all of the Beatles I mean for Ringo to be wearing a red raincoat and uh, the pink pinstripe suit or, you know, the the colorful striped shirts. I mean, it's just it's all it it was just all really fantastic and I think just so welcomed even now with this style kind of being embraced with this generation of fashion that that we see even today. So just absolute the fashion, just the fashion. Just
2: (laughs) way ahead of he's way ahead of Elton John, right?
1: So So ahead, I mean, this is the blueprint right here. It it starts with Glenn. It starts with Glenn.
2: He's got the feathers. He's you know
1: everything. Just the the jewelry. Just his, I mean the pants. Like just the whole looks. Like his hair. It just everything about him was just so on point. I think it's just a really unique thing to see this. Like to see what was happening. Um, to see how cool they were looking behind the scenes. It's just really great. Not just the Beatles, but. I
2: mean, yeah. You know, so one of the things I know that people have been taking away from this experience and I imagine will be also on display at the hall, the rock hall is does have to do right with the idea that this isn't the breakup album as we all, not that we were led to believe it, but just the circumstances of its original release in 1970 after Paul's announcement about disbandment, you know, Couldn't help but make it so Mm -hmm. Um, I often teach it in class As the Beatles come from behind Victory album Mm -hmm. You know, it's a rough month And yet at the end They've got the rooftop And then January 31st They record all of those wonderful songs So there's this Just incredible profusion of energy And creativity Um, And one of the characters Who certainly emerges uh, Is Michael Lindsay Hogg, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh crunching on his stogie the whole time but anyway um are there how do you point toward the breakup then when you have this this experience of get back you know while it isn't the breakup album thank goodness um it certainly is forecasting things to come you know Greg and and Waka, how did you how did you think about that and incorporating those issues? Because we are late in the game as far as their story goes.
0: Yeah. So, what i i i appreciate the idea of it being sort of this later comeback record, right? Because um, it it is pretty amazing, and it, at times it was a little underrated. And you can talk about the mix and other stuff, but when you get to the the insights to the personalities for, for the way that I i found it fit into at least my sort of narrative of the Beatles is, um, one the seeing the stuff with George was just right there in front of you. That was pretty remarkable. Um, and, um, I, I really, uh, felt for him as, as being a bit of that outsider, even though these are his, his guys, which was interesting. But what I found fascinating was the closeness and the closeness of, um, the 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 obvious um it wasn't just mugging um for you know whatever film they were making it was it was real and and when you combine that that realness with the fact that the 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 popular narrative right probably your listeners are so deep they they they're They're beyond the popular narrative, and and I know you are too with your scholarship, but the popular narrative about this breakup and that, you know, never play again and never be together. And the reality is there is a a lot of socializing going on at times in the 70s, uh, and there were friendships, and these were lifelong connections. And I think seeing these sessions kind of underscored that, um, that it wasn't um, acrimonious and on its way out, and you didn't have people getting super polarized um, at, at this breakup record, instead it was a, you know, I think when things were dissolved, they didn't, nobody even knew where it was going to go, but um, but the fact that people stayed together, uh, there's jamming together at times, they celebrated birthdays and events and spoke to each other. Um, I think that's an important part of their that that next chapter that sometimes gets lost in the popular narrative.
2: Oh, and what what? How did you see that then, Waka? When you're when you're thinking about you know, obviously curating this exhibit and it's the elephant in the room, you know, it's either it, it, you know, historically, and again, we don't have those time machines, but historically we know it's coming. So how do you, how do you play that?
1: Right. Well, this exhibit is not, you know, meant to, to be that, um, you know, like a full retrospective. We're taking a moment out of you know, the lives of four, four giant lives. Um, and this is only a, a sampling of, of the moment. We are really celebrating this creative wave. Um, I mean, that they made, there were so many innovations that came out of this moment there, um, in sound and the way they were playing and how they were writing and to Greg's point, how they were collaborating, you know, um, sure, there are pieces that obviously can be put together um based on that struggle, and it's so funny i you know i, I empathize in that same way, Greg um, with George, just seeing you know his struggle in that way too. Um, that's what the docu series is for. um the exhibit is here to really just amplify this musical moment in history, and that's what fans will get to see through these artifacts um, and through you know us pointing to the film as our guide, um, giving us a glimpse into what happened um, during the making of this historic record.
2: Everything Fab Four is presented by Salon.com, the premier news, politics, innovation, and arts website. For more information about the podcast, visit everythingfab4.com, where you can learn more about our podcast and my latest Beatles-related book, John Lennon 1980, The Last Days in the Life. The Everything Fab Four theme song, Seize the Day, is provided courtesy of Black Rabbit, the high-octane Beatles cover band and innovative psychedelic rock project from Rockaway Beach, Queens in New York City. Like what you heard today on Everything Fab Four? Be sure to subscribe. Give us a rating and recommend the show to your friends. Plus, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EF4Podcast. Distributed by Salon, Everything Fab 4 is a wonderful all production with editing and post production assistance from music industry and communication students at Monmouth University. Remember, it's a Beatles world and everyone has a story.